And we're moving to this concept of like a tech stack and where all these software tools used for hardware design development are plug and play API driven. The analogy being just like how a software developer builds out their tech stack. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Sometime back in the 90s, you might have heard people utter the words, eh, I think this whole internet thing is a fad. We don't need that for our business. Heck, maybe even you said it yourself. And until 10 or 15 years ago, Comparable sentiments often surrounded the adoption of cloud-based software. Well, as our guest today will tell you, we're at the threshold of yet another information revolution of significant magnitude. But this time, it's about cloud-based hardware. Let me introduce him. Michael Kaur is CEO and co-founder of Duro and has over 20 years of experience in designing and manufacturing hardware. Michael has brought a range of products to market, including drones, IoT devices, wearables, telecom equipment, and clean tech products. With a focus in manufacturing, Michael has spent a significant amount of time managing production, both in the U.S. and overseas, and has incorporated his learnings into design for manufacturability best practices. Michael is passionate about leveraging software to automate and validate as much of a development cycle as possible. His determination to make hardware product development simpler and more reliable led him to start Duro with co-founder Kellen O'Connor. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, why don't we kick things off here by you know, giving our audience a little bit more about you, your background, and what inspired you to found Duro? Yeah, happy to. I'm, I'm, your intro was very well said. I basically, I spent about 20 years you know, designing manufacturing. My formal background, electrical engineering and computer science. I spent most of my time designing circuit boards, embedded systems. And eventually, just through the course of my career, I found myself doing more and more manufacturing, both in the U.S. and predominantly in China and Shenzhen, and got fascinated by it. And saw that it was much more to being an engineer than just designing products, but actually being aware of how they're manufactured. And I learned so much from being actually on the shop floor and watching things I designed get produced and finding ways to make them better in terms of manufacturability, assembly, or even tests. So as a manager, you know, eventually, you know, being responsible for the production and costs of, of these products. It was on me to make sure that yields were high and and you know products were delivered at, at appropriate costs. And a lot of that comes from really truly understanding how designs are manufactured. That's great. And remind me, you have you founded Duro how long ago? So I started Duro about five years ago. And so in conjunction with my you know observations about how to use manufacturing principles to make your designs better, 
I also found that even still communication across these teams was very poor. Mm. And a lot of it was using manual processes, emails, even paper, Excel, spreadsheets, various different channels. And it led to a lot of risks and a lot of overhead management, making sure that all these teams had the right revisions of your files, your CAD files, your Gerbers, whatever the case may be. And they're just incredibly inefficient. Even if you had some communication between your design team and manufacturing team, it was often very inefficient and would lag. You know, by the time you could incorporate some of the feedback from your manufacturing team, it was too late to make it into the next design cycle and you had to wait for a second one. And so that was very frustrating because it led to a lot of risks and additional costs to manage all that data, all that information, making sure, you know, people were using the right versions. And I recognized that, hey, it didn't have to be this way. And I happened to be, you know, in the Bay Area in, in, in the mid 2000s with what, what I refer to as the whole agile renaissance and, and the explosion in innovation and software tools, the software industry. And having a background in, in CS, I understood and respected what was happening and seeing, you know, orders of magnitude of improvement in how software was written, how software code was revisioned, it was controlled, it was shared. Digital communication was much simpler. You know, people from various teams, either in the same building or all over the world, could seamlessly plug and play their, their tools or capabilities and communicate amongst each other. And yet none of that was happening in the hardware industry. <clears throat> and so I saw an opportunity. How do we bring these software-driven, agile workflows to the hardware industry specifically around bill materials, CAD file and supply chain management. How do we centralize that information? How do we get off email? How do we get off these separate siloed products and teams that have no guarantee that they're referencing the right revision of, of the content? Get it into the cloud, make it plug and play, make it seamless, make it fast, allow engineers to truly focus on engineering work and not spending so much time wrangling files in their data. I think that's a pretty good overview of, you know, why why Turo came to be the problem you obviously saw there. Let's go deeper in a few of those areas. So you you kind of started hinting at this, but you know, when when companies are using manual processes around transferring data, like what do you think are some of the biggest problems being caused there? Well, I mean, the, the, the hardware industry as a whole is is going through a really interesting transformation right now. I mean, it's 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 an old industry, and there was a certainly it had its own you know a boom in the, in the eighties and nineties of technology, you know, kind of when when Windows desktop technology was the height of of capabilities used in businesses, and so a lot of the infrastructure was built around those technologies and best practices at the time. You know, there's very little internet, certainly no such thing as a cloud or centralization. And so everyone had their own tools in their own location. And the only way to communicate was through email. We didn't have things like Dropbox even. And what was considered modern UI and UX of software tools was still very click heavy, you know, data entry heavy, you know, drop down lists, radio buttons, check boxes, what have you. And there wasn't this interest in efficiency in terms of a UI UX in the software experience. And so as a result, 
the tools were very powerful and capable. And obviously some fantastic companies came out of that era were, were unintentionally making things worse because of the inefficiencies of these products, because they were never designed to be interoperable out of the box, your CAD package, your PDM, your PLM, ERP, IMS, you know, all these three-letter acronyms, software tools, all very powerful in their own right, never were really designed to work together out of the box. It would take a considerable amount of effort or expensive, you know, consultants or other technologies or plugins to be able to get them to work. And as a result, oftentimes teams didn't have the time or the resources to do that. So they just did it manually. And so that's kind of the, the crux of how the industry got to where it is today. All these manual processes were developed for managing data and transferring data and validating that each team had the right data because of the inefficiencies of the software tools that were used. The effectively like the tails wagging the dog. And so a whole industry was built you know, job positions, processes, documentation, how do you handle these inefficiencies? And so now the technology has gotten better. Again, referencing what the innovations we've seen through the software industry, data models have gotten better. It's been simpler. The cloud is much, much more, you know, adopted and, and trusted. There's no need for any of these processes anymore. You know, for a while, people, no one thought that they were efficient, but there wasn't another option. Now there is. And now it's not only time to start using these other options, but more excitingly, there's a younger, newer generation of hardware engineers. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. You know, electrical mechanical engineers these days, they formally study software, or many of them have just, you know, a genuine interest in learning software best practices. Software technologies have become more prevalent and even commoditized. It's very easy for one to start hacking away and start learning software principles and using technologies and tools. And so they're looking for those equivalents, those analogies in the hardware space and the hardware tools, and they're not there. And that's fundamentally what Duro is trying to provide. What, you know, the manufacturing sectors, a lot of it is very traditional. You've got, you know, second, third generation family owned businesses. They've been doing things the same way for many years. Like what kind of pushback do you tend to see from people about, you know, hesitancy to move things to the cloud? Yeah, it's it's still there. I think it's less and less, you know, just as time goes on and business leaders either just get better educated on, on how the cloud can help them or, you know, younger people start becoming managers who already trust the cloud or there's just some business or financial incentive where it's no longer makes sense to be, to be using what's called an on-prem solution. But there is still a sizable market who doesn't trust the cloud or, or doesn't want to move to the cloud or, you know, all of us, look, old dogs, new tricks. Like if there's a process that you built your business around and it's worked for you for 10 years, 20 years, I, I, I can respect that. You know, there's not just the hesitancy to change, but maybe just the the overhead, you know, the you know intimidation of, well, we have it already set up. It's good enough. You know, maybe there's just not a financial incentive or what have you. Which is unfortunate because I do feel that what not only will happen is it'll eventually have more costs for them to manage their systems, but they'll start losing out on business. Because especially in the supply chain industry, you know, a lot of deals are made just because of availability. And so when you're looking for parts, especially when there's shortages, and we've all, I'm sure, had those experiences where you've been using a certain part or, you know, component. 
and all of a sudden it's not available or it doesn't meet your delivery dates or your lead times for your particular production, you have to go find something else, right? And we all use our trusted resources or suppliers or, you know, our Rolodex that we've used before. It's always fastest and that's good business practice. But it is the easier it is to find them or find new ones, the more likely they're going to close those deals. And when suppliers aren't using the cloud to promote their capabilities, their services, their wares, making it easy for OEMs or other designers to find them, they're going to lose business. Even if they have a cheaper, better product, if no one can find you, it doesn't matter. And so that, I think, is something that manufacturers and service providers who haven't quite adopted the cloud and technologies need to really start thinking about do they have sufficient pipeline to maintain their business or or do they need to move to the cloud to find new, new business mm -hmm. yeah that, that makes sense it's like there, there's another side of it too is that sort of a trend or pattern i've seen with a lot of different people i've had on this show who have been talking about technology in manufacturing from different perspectives you know whether it's collaboration software for engineers or it's automated vision systems for manufacturing production lines or it's cobots you know working alongside humans or whatever it is there's when you look at what's possible now and what the more innovative companies are doing and then you pair that with challenges with attracting young people into the workforce and you know mass exodus of baby boomers you know, how does your business look to the outside world when you're doing things manually and not mm -hmm. deploying technology that, you know, your competitors are using? And so I think it's part of it, too, is just how people that you need to notice and care about your business are perceiving yeah. you, right? Yeah. And now, like, I don't I don't think this is anything unique, though, but that ship has sailed, right? Mm. The world is moving to the cloud. Like that's yeah, like, yeah. if, if, if you're denying that, then, you know, I think it's, it's foolish. Your head, your, your head's in the sand. And so if you want a business that will be around in 20 years, you, you're correct. I mean, you obviously, you, your current workforce will likely retire and you have to hire new talent, whether it's cloud or on-prem is kind of irrelevant. It's, if it's technology that the young talent doesn't understand, they're not going to use it and they're not going to come join your company. Yeah. And so you have to move to the cloud just to keep a sustainable business independent of whether or not the technology, you know, actually is more efficient for you. Mm -hmm. Michael, I heard you say in our previous conversation that security is now a commodity when it comes to data. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, kind of along those lines. I mean, the, the cloud is extremely secure now. And, you know, there's billions of dollars of e-commerce that go through it every day. It has to be secure. Mm -hmm. And it's just, part, you know, the, the, the innovations in software and how to start a business on the web are getting better and better. It's simpler and simpler for someone with an idea just to start a business. You know, there's, there's various different resources to create a website, whether it's e-commerce or B2B, host it on various, you know, suppliers, Amazon, Google, you know, Azure, what have you. But as a result, because so much information is going through those systems, there's been a lot of focus on security. It's a huge topic. And so it's had to be commoditized, right? Otherwise, what you know, if people don't trust it, you know, they're not going to start a business. They're not going to, you know, take customers' information or, or pass financial information. So there's been through the con the, con the concentration centralization of these cloud services and technologies to run a business, it's been a lot of focus on improving security. And now like 
we don't have to have an in-house security advisor. Like everything can be outsourced. Everything can be, you know, either part of the default package with our service providers or checkboxes. You know, it's it's pretty simple these days. I don't have to, you know, the I don't have to have an IT security expert to get a business up and running. At some point, you know, obviously it's it's beneficial to have some in-house expertise, but not necessary. And that too, kind of going back to the topic, I'm just to keep hounding on this, but you know, when, when one of the, again, I don't think this is anything novel, but when we do talk to customers who say, though, they don't trust the cloud, they want everything in their own walls. I said, well, who do you think is a better security person? You know, the people who work at these, you know, fortune 50 companies, the Googles, the Amazons who are, that's their job and that's their, their expertise to make sure the systems are secure or your own in-house expertise, right? You're going to be spending more money, more time. You're probably still going to have risks. It's not worth it. And unless you have some absolute secure, you know, security requirement that it's within the walls and you can't connect outside of the internet. And that's, you know, more government classified, that kind of stuff. There are some projects which I respect, but if, if you're using email, you're using the cloud. And I think that's something, a naive point that people make about they don't trust the cloud. Well, if you're using email, and you're sending confidential information, you're sending those same step files, the same Gerber files through email, that's the cloud. That's a great point. Well, Michael, shifting gears here, it's no secret to anyone listening right now that our economy has been pretty unpredictable over the last few years. And during recessions or even these sort of up and down volatile times, companies tend to have knee-jerk reactions and you know, all of a sudden they'll cut labor, for example. But you told me recently that the most prudent managers protect themselves from these ups and downs by investing in processes and technology. Can you explain yes. what I mean by that? Yeah, no, that's something I'm very passionate about. And that's, again, from one of the fundamentals of Duro, our company is all about efficiency of process. How, how do we automate the rote tasks, the repetitive tasks, the, the, the things that software is really good at doing, which is looking up parts, you know, validating content, what have you. And so when suppliers, OEMs, vendors, manufacturers, whomever, when they have inefficient processes, it as a result requires more labor to manage it, to process it. And so my comment was all about, obviously labor is one of the highest costs of any business. And so it's a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, we have to cut costs because of the economy or the downturn, whatever the case may be, let's cut labor. Well, if you cut labor, then you've just doubled, if not tripled, the workload of the, the remaining work, you know, work staff. And so you've actually made it worse. And so now you put more stress on that staff, the probability of leaving. And so it kind of starts to have a snowball effect. And so prudent leaders will actually look at the process and say, well, how can we improve our tools, our communication? Where is the overhead? Can we remove the overhead first? And then look, okay, now do we have extra labor? And if you do, and you can cut it, there's no more burden on the remaining staff. Michael, can you talk for a moment about kind of the business opportunity of using the cloud to find suppliers? Yeah, so I can use some actual empirical case studies. You know, With our software, Duro, one of the things that we did very early on, again, because there's been more commodities of APIs and access to more data on the web, we integrated our software with many of the major parts distributors, electrical parts, mechanical parts, you know, these catalogs that a lot of engineers refer to, certainly early on design and prototyping stage. 
And it saved our customers an incredible amount of time. They don't have to go search these catalogs to get the part numbers, to get the data sheets, the specs, all the peripheral information, you know, the, the sourcing, the, you know, pricing, lead time, stock. All they have to do is put in a manufacturing part number and we pull in all that stuff for them. You know, again, that's what software is for. It's a complete waste of someone's value if they're just copying and pasting part information from a DigiKey website into their bill of materials repository. Software can do that much better, faster, more exhaustive, and more consistent. And our customers love that because it just gives them access to information much faster. They can make better design decisions based on supply chain availability, not just based on functionality. And it also ultimately reduces the number of iterations they may have to make in a part because of you know, not a part not being available and they have to, to redesign the, the circuit board or the, the mechanical assembly, whatever the case may be. But there have been certain circumstances where there are some very popular and well-used distributors who don't have an API and we can't access their information. And a lot of our customers keep hounding us, hey, when are you going to add us? When are you going to add us? And so our hands are tied. You know, we'd love to. And we've tried communicating that to these, these suppliers but you know they have that hesitancy about the web and, and uncertainty. Well, but our data is not safe and this and that. And I said, well, look, even if your parts are better and your prices are cheaper and more available, if it takes someone more time to go and find it, it doesn't matter. Look at the labor rate, right? So let's just use a very basic math example. So with our current software, you can literally type in a manufacturing part number and in, in, in milliseconds, certainly less than a second, you could have all this information, reams of it. But if you have to manually go to a website to copy and paste that same information, you know, we're talking eight, 10, 15 minutes per part, right? You know, an average, you know, you do the math, what, is, what do you pay your engineers? What's their salary? You know, what is their effective hourly rate? And what is 15 minutes worth of cost of that? And then multiply that by the number of parts you have to copy and paste. And so now that part that was three cents per unit is now more because you have to amortize that labor that was used to get that information. And so those suppliers are losing business. And I think it's really naive for them to not, again, embrace APIs, technologies to make their services, their catalogs more accessible because that's what's going to happen when when engineers, when design teams are in a crunch and they need to find an alternate fast, whatever they can find the quickest that satisfies the job. In many cases, time is money or money is time. Yeah, excuse me. In many cases, time is money and ultimately it can be cheaper if they can get it faster. Michael, is there anything I did not ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation today? Yeah, so there's other things that, you know, along the lines of, of moving you know, this new generation that's more aware of software technology, we're starting to see at Duro more and more of our peers, other service providers, other software providers that add, you know, add supplements or complementary technologies to ours, having the same methodology, this, this plug-and-play API-driven concept. And it's really exciting because we've, We've been in this concept of siloed products, separate individual products that are purchased individually. They need to be configured individually. They often take a lot of time to integrate amongst each other. And we're moving to this concept of like a tech stack, 
And where all these software tools used for hardware design development are plug and play API driven, the analogy being just like how a software developer builds out their tech stack, right? So today, a even a junior software engineer can set up their entire tool chain in an hour, if not less, right? Set up your, your development environment, your GitHub repository, some build server, some automated test framework, an AWS account, and you can literally be pushing production code up to the web in an hour. You can continue to configure that system to your heart's content, and there's very large industries that do that, but you don't need to. However, that's not true of these legacy hard hardware tools. Like They don't work together. It takes days. It takes weeks, if not months, to get them to work together. And that's been a really big problem for the hardware industry. It's really held us back from being able to reach a lot of potential because the cost is so high, the time is so high to set up this tool chain. A lot of people don't, or they wait much longer than they should. And it impedes the opportunity to innovate because they're scared. They're scared of making a mistake. They're scared of the wrong files and get the wrong hands. They're scared that their manual revision process of using directory names and file names is going to have a mistake. And so they're very cautious. They don't have that safety net of the technology to do what it does best in the same way the software developers do. And so we're seeing a huge change. And Duro is part of this movement where these Cloud-based software tools have a guarantee to our customers that we are plug and play. And it's really exciting. And we're starting to see people refer to it even as a tech stack, not you know what CAD you're using, what PLM you're using, but what tech stack you're using, which implies just that the name itself implies interoperability. And so it's still early, but it's really exciting to see. And there's, you know, there's there's movement in, in PLM, where Duro sits, in CAD, in MES, in ERP, in validation management, you know, various other software tools that are integral to designing, manufacturing your products. And it's just, it's really exciting to see this. And I'm I'm actually jealous of companies now who get to use this technology because I I never had it when I was, you know, in an engineering seat and on the shop floor. Well, Michael, great conversation today. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Duro? Yeah, the best way is to go to our website, www.getduro.com. I'm always available. You're happy to, to contact us through the website. Love talking to engineers, love talking to hardware teams who are very software-driven approaches to designing, manufacturing. Love this concept of plug and play and interoperability. It's always exciting. Now there's more and more of us out there, you know, how we came to this point and what have we seen, what technologies are we using? There is an incredible amount of innovation happening in the hardware tool space these days, much, much more than we've ever seen before. And, and I feel like we're, we're at the cusp of our own agile renaissance in the same way the software industry did in the mid two thousands. I think that's, I truly feel that's about to happen in the hardware space in the coming years. Well, exciting times, great topic, and yeah, good conversation. So thanks for doing this today, Michael. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. 
If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.